Morning, I'm Nate, one of the pastors here. Good to be with you. Um, I'm glad we can have this time together and, and move into some conversation about prayer. What does it mean to have a conversation with God? And uh, I want to start, if you'll allow me, I just want to have a little bit of an old person moment with you, okay? I'm old, I'm getting older, I'm not as old as I used to be, you know, uh, things are changing for me. And uh, one of the things I'm trying to catch up on are the abbreviations we use when we text each other. So I've got three kids. Um, and my youngest is a senior in high school, and we text quite a bit. And sometimes she'll send, they'll send a text to me, and I, I'm not sure what they're trying to say. I have to go get like, someone to help me decipher. You know, what is it that they want me to understand from these few words? I'm like, can't you take another three seconds and, and make a sentence for me? But no, we get the abbreviation. So I want to just take a moment and lean in. I'm curious if any of you struggle with understanding text messages from grandkids or kids or, okay, I'm not alone in the story. It's a real struggle. So uh, I'm just going to put a couple up on the screen and you guys can help me decipher these. This first one, uh, C-Y-A, it's a little bit, they start with a tricky one already because when you see an abbreviation, you assume each letter represents a word, you know, so it's a C word, a Y word, and an A word. But this one, you got to, it's like you sound it out. You say the first letter and then make a word with the next two letters. So it's C, yeah, see, uh, see you later, right? That's we're starting with easy. We're going to start easy. See you later. It's like goodbye. So I, when I first got this, I thought somebody was talking to me about like the color wheel or something, like cyan or something like that. I didn't know. Oh, see ya. See you later. That's good. Here's another one. I-R-L. I-R-L. Anyone know what this means? In real life. So some of you are on the know. Uh, so we have virtual lives and we have real lives now. So you have to differentiate sometimes. So if you're like, I'm going to go visit Morocco and then operate on my friend. Not, in, not IRL. No, no, this is virtually. I'm going to do this virtually. This is just, you know, me and my dream world. Uh, in my real life, in real life, I'm doing this stuff. So you got to, this is, helps you differentiate. So if someone tells you they're doing something in IRL, it means it's happening, all right? It's real. That's good to know. This last one is something my daughter has sent me um, several times. She's a senior, like I said, and, and I'll, I'll text her at night or in the morning. I'll say, hey, have a great day at school. I love you. Uh, hope you sleep all night. Love you. Um, be safe thinking about you. I love you. And I'll send her this, like, I love you thing. And she'll send me back these, these four letters, M-W-A-H. And I, I got that, like, first time from her, like, a year ago. And I'm like, is that Hebrew? What is she trying to send me? And, and so uh, I said, I love you. And she sends this back. I'm like, moi? Like, like, Mah. Like, what, is that what she's saying? Mah. Like, I, say, I offer my heart to her. You know, you are my treasure. And she sends back, meh. And, and not just one of these. She gives me two of them. So it's like, meh, meh. You know? Like, that's how I interpreted it the first few times I got it. And finally, I asked her about it. I said, hey, you're breaking my heart. What are you trying to say to me? And she goes, no, no, Dad. It's, it's mwah. It's like a kiss. Mwah. It's, uh, it's mwah. I love you. I, I'm oh, you're loving me right back. Okay. All right, we're okay. So when I say I love you, you're, you're giving kisses back. It's like love right back at me. She goes, yes, yes. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So it's, it's so easy to miscommunicate with texting when you do this. You know, it's like you'll ask a friend a question and they think you're shouting at them. Or, you know, you, you make a statement and you put a period at the end and they're like, I don't need the period. You know, like it's over, period. You know, that's not necessary. I don't need that. It's too, I heard a comedian talk about that. It's too painful. Uh, or you get those little three dots that pop up on your text box, has ever happened, little three dots, and it's like Christmas morning, like, what are they going to say? Like, something's coming, and then they disappear, and there's nothing. They don't say, like, what happened there? This kind of left me hanging. Now, I don't, I don't want to sound ir irreverent this morning, but I think there's times when prayer is a little bit like texting. 
When we pray, it's kind of like texting. We send out these prayers to God. We lift up our requests to God. And then we don't always hear back. We kind of wonder. There's silence. Or sometimes we get a message back, but we don't understand. It doesn't make sense to us. Or worse yet, we get those little three dots. Like we think something's coming. We're anticipating. And then, and then it's silence. And we wonder, what is, what is happening? God sends me an FTFY, which of course means I'll fix that for you. And the first time I see it, I think, oh, 50. I got to wait 50 years. Okay, great. That's what you're telling me. And it's just, it's just easy to miscommunicate when it comes to prayer. So, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about why do we pray? How do we pray? What, what is prayer all about? And we're going to spend a few weeks talking about that. This last uh, week, like Jessica mentioned, the Chiefs had their kickoff, their start of the season. It wasn't a, beautiful, a pretty game. Um, but as I was watching that, I started to think about how sometimes prayer is associated with a certain type of play in football, a play that maybe you've heard of. Back in 1975, the Cowboys were playing the Vikings, and Roger Stahlbach was the quarterback for the, the Cowboys, and they were down by just under a touchdown. They were like the, past the 60-yard line. There's seconds left in the game. There's no way they're going to win. The only way they could win is if somehow they got a, a, a touchdown. And so he takes the ball, and he just heaves the ball down the field, all the way down into the end zone. And Drew Pearson, the receiver, catches it and, and gets the touchdown, and they win the game. Just no way that was going to happen, and it happens. And so afterwards, the reporters are talking to Staubach, and he says, you know, um, you know, I just closed my eyes, and I said a Hail Mary, and I threw that ball. And uh, Hail Mary, you know, now, so ever since then, this idea of, of a last-ditch effort, you know, at the last moment with low probability, kind of shot in the dark, and when that happens at the end of a football game, it's called a Hail Mary pass, right? We've heard that. Maybe you've heard that before. And, and so... So what does that mean about prayer? When we associate prayer with this kind of last-ditch effort pass at the end of the game, it's like when I've done everything I can possibly do in my own power, when I've worked through all of my other resources, when I've, uh, you know, once all of my cleverness and all of my ability has been tried and exhausted at the last moment when there's nothing else I can do, then I'll talk to God about it. Then I'll offer up a prayer. This view of prayer, when we think about prayer this way, uh, it means that God is like the last stop instead of the first instinct in our lives. The power of God is, is kind of our final desperation instead of our, our primary motivator. It's almost like prayer becomes, you know, at the end of the game instead of the whole ball game. And so let's talk about what prayer is all about. When prayer is thought of as a Hail Mary pass, we're, we're really missing the point. And there are times when we send up prayers of desperation, we do sometimes send up desperate prayers, and I think God hears those, and he, he wants to know our cries for help. He responds to those, uh, those prayers of desperation, but, but conversation with God is available to us all the time, every day, constantly. Every situation that we face, it, it should be primary, and so often we, we miss it, and, and we save it to the last thing, and so Paul would write in the New Testament, he would write to his friends and say, never stop praying. Pray constantly. Never stop praying. As this, our compassionate Heavenly Father wants to be in a conversation with us, wants to interact with us and talk with us. And so we've got a little living room scene up here because this is what prayer can, can be symbolized by for us, that we sit with God and have a conversation, that he knows us and we know him and we can look eye to eye and talk about life together. Conversation with God is what prayer is all about, this meaningful connection with the one who made us. And it's, it's a good thing when we pray, when we talk. Now, desperate prayers have brought many people to faith as they've cried out to God for him to move in their life in a new way, and they, they see him moving that brings them to faith. 
It's, those are good things, but, but desperate prayers cannot sustain your everyday life and your spiritual growth over the long term. If you want to live a new kind of life, to be transformed by the Spirit, it's going to require uh, more than like last-minute prayers, needy prayers, desperate prayers. It's an ongoing conversation. So I wanted to start by having someone come up and share about their experience in prayer and how they've seen prayer move their life. So I want to invite Erica to come up, and she's one of our prayer volunteers that often you'll see up here after service praying with people. And um, Erica, thanks for coming up and standing before all these people. It's kind of scary, but thanks for taking the chance. So uh, I'll just start by asking a question. Uh, When's the time you felt like God was um, inviting you to engage in prayer in a new way? So I was going to have to have a dental surgery, a gum graft, where they take a piece of gum from the roof of your mouth, and they were going to stitch it in front of the teeth on the bottom. Yeah. Uh, So a big, just one thing in the long history of dental things. So it was kind of like, oh, this is normal. Like, here we go again. And one Sunday, I just felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to go up front and ask for prayer for it. And uh, so how did you respond to that prompting? Initially, I was resistant. Um, I had been at this church for a long time. I'd been there for five years. I had worked on staff. Um, Everybody knew me. They had seen me go through the school of spiritual direction at this school. So I was very well established there. Um, And in my mind, I was like, well, you go up for prayer for two reasons. Because you're a new believer and your life is in shambles. And everybody knew I wasn't a new believer. So I was going to get put in the other category of my life is in shambles. (laughs) So you thought if you walk up front, they're all just going to assume she's desperate. Right. Things are falling apart for her. Mm -hmm. Look at that sad, sad person. Right. (laughs) All right. So so what happened? So it took a couple Sundays um, of feeling the prompting. And then... Um, I think it was the third or fourth Sunday. I was like, all right, I'm going. I will do it. And I went up and ended up having the most profound encounter with the Holy Spirit I think I've ever had in my life. Yeah. What what did that look like? What do you mean? So I just asked somebody to pray for me. And the moment she laid her hand on me and started praying, I had, it was almost like a real vision of, it's almost like Jesus was right in front of me. And he walked up and he kissed me on the spot where I was going to have the surgery. It was one of the most profound things that's ever happened to me. Wow. It felt really real. It was very real. And then how, did that last? I mean, what was that like? And so that? what that was like was I still had to have the surgery, but I was no longer afraid because Jesus was with me. Mm-hmm. And then later when I had my second child and had to have an unplanned C-section again, I went into the, that surgery totally unafraid because I knew Jesus cared enough about, if he cared enough about a little surgery right here, of course he was going to be with me in this yeah. really big, scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't afraid. Well, thanks, Erica. Thanks for sharing your story. Yeah. yeah, let's say thanks to Erica for coming up here. So we're going to spend about four weeks talking about prayer. My hope for you and for me is, is that we could have a similar experience to Erica. Like we would see God expand our understanding of what prayer is and how he uses it in our lives. That, that we'd be willing to open up our hearts and our minds and, uh, and allow God to create in us a desire to, to walk with him and talk with him and experience normal life with him. Uh, he gives us this open door. That he kind of welcomes us in and says, come, come and know me. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. And, and we, I want us to respond to that welcome, this relationship that he made us for. So, so the question this morning is, what kind of prayer are you? 
What kind of person of prayer are you? When you think about how you pray, what would, how would you describe that? And we're going to go to a passage of scripture that gives us some, some ideas of different kinds of pray, ways to pray. So I want to invite you to, to find a Bible, open up to Luke 11. If you've got the Bible app on your phone, you can open up Luke 11 verse 1. And uh, I want to look at this passage that gives us a little bit of idea of what it looks like to pray and uh, the different ways we might pray. So Luke 11. Uh, Last week we were in Luke 15, so this is a little bit earlier in in the biography here that Luke is writing about Jesus. And right before Luke 11, verse 1, Jesus is with his friends Mary and Martha, and he's he's saying appreciative words to Mary. He's saying, thanks for sitting with me. Thanks for listening. You've chose a good thing to sit and talk with me, be in conversation with me. I get to listen to your story. You're listening to my story. And Jesus says, that's a good thing that we had this time to talk together. And then in verse 1, it's a little while later, and it just says, verse 1 of chapter 11, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John's, John taught his disciples. So just a quick pause here. Jesus would often uh, step away from the busyness of life. There was amazing things happening around Jesus. People were receiving healing. Blind people were seeing. Uh, people with broken uh, bodies were made whole again and could walk again. And uh, just powerful teaching. It was incredible to see what he was doing. But he, in the midst of that, he would sometimes step away. With all the good things that were happening, he'd say, you know what, I'm going to step away from that. And he would give some time to talk to his father God, to talk with God and to pray. And he would do it sometimes in the morning, sometimes at night, sometimes in the afternoon. And his disciples noticed this happening. They see it happening, so one of them finally says, hey, John the Baptist teaches his followers how to pray. Why don't you teach us how to pray? And I'm sure Jesus appreciated the comparison. You know, we love it when we get compared to other leaders and love when my kids say, my friend's parents don't parent that way. What are you thinking about? You know, so, but Jesus seems to handle that just fine, and he moves on. He says, yeah, okay, let me talk to you about prayer. So verse 2, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, some of you know that's, we've called that the Lord's Prayer. It's a a way of praying. It's like an example or a a model of prayer that Jesus gives us here. And some people memorize this passage and, and, and say that prayer. Some churches do it almost every Sunday. Matthew also records the Lord's Prayer, and he's got a few additional little phrases he puts in, which just tells me that Jesus talked about prayer often. It wasn't just this one time. He continued to teach them about prayer, and it, it grew over time. And Matthew's is just a little bit more expansive in his prayer. And Jesus says, here's, here's a way to pray. Here's a model, a, a kind of a way to lift up requests to God, to talk to God. And then he says, let me give you some illustrations that kind of illustrate what happens when we pray. What, what does it actually look like? Uh, just illustrate that for you. So he goes on in verse 5. And then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to see him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Another friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to set before him. Middle of the night, knocking on your neighbor's door. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. That's what I would say. Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he won't get up and do it because he's your friend, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Isn't that a great phrase? Shameless audacity. What if our prayers were described that way? our audacious move to stand before the God of the universe and ask him for things. Shameless audacity. 
Verse 9, so I say to you, Jesus continues, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and those who seek find. And to those who knock, the door will be opened. And then he gives one more short little story, verse 11, 12, and 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus uses, it's interesting that he uses negative comparisons to illuminate uh, who God is and how God operates. He illustrates that he takes a bad friend and a bad father, and he says this is how good God is because you can compare it to those bad examples. Even a bad friend who won't respond to you in the middle of the night, if, if you persist, they will finally open up their door. How much more, if a bad friend does that, how much more will a good father open the door to you, receive you, answer the need that you have? Even a bad father knows how to give good things to their kids. How much more will a good father give good things to his children? And in between these comparisons is the kicker in verse uh, 9 and through 10. I just want to read that again because it's so good for us to hear. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. So it's an interesting way to think about how we pray, the different ways that we can pray. Do you ask or not? Are you seeking or not? Are you knocking or have you stepped away from the door? What kind of prayer are you? So let's go through these three and just kind of lay this out for us this morning. Those that don't ask, those that have not asked, you, can, might, you might call them doubters, the, doubter, the doubting when it comes to prayer. A doubter wonders, you know, am I just talking to myself? What's the point? I can't hear God, can't see God, I don't know God, I don't know that I trust God. You might pull me aside and say, Nate, I prayed about stuff and, and nothing happened, so I don't know what the point is. One of the things I've started to hear uh, when people are in pain or people who are suffering or when there's a community that is ravaged by a tragedy more and more, I'm starting to hear people say, you know what, we need more than your thoughts and prayers. We need more than thoughts and prayers. Well, what are they saying when they say that? That we need action, right? We need justice. We need movement. We need things to happen. You get an idea of their view of prayer, that prayer is just words. It's just talk. It doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't do anything. We need more than that. Those are the words of a, a person who might be doubting prayer and what it does. And, and I get this. I've, I've had doubts, too. I have doubts about prayer at times. In fact, if you're a doubter about prayer, this is a great place to be here at Hillcrest, to, to lean in, to push into that, to challenge that, and to work through it, what's going on in your heart and mind. Because the opposite of, of faith is not doubt. You know, if you're having doubts, it doesn't mean you don't have faith. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is apathy, is not caring, is not engaging. If you're struggling with doubt, if you're in the battle, trying to figure it out, trying to want, you're wondering, why is this my experience? If you're wrestling with it, you're involved, it shows you have faith. Doubts are just a normal part of faith. And so it's good that you're here. You're welcome here. Let's, let's lean into that. Let's struggle through that together. Does our prayer make any kind of difference? Do, do our prayers matter? Does heaven listen when we pray? Does it make a difference? Well, there's an interesting passage in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, 
In this book of the Bible, John is having this incredible vision uh, of heaven and what's happening in the spiritual realm and how it's impacting uh, the earth and the the evil and the violence of humanity is is crashing up against the perfect judgment and power of God. And God's judgment is illustrated as like a, a, a scroll with seven seals on it. And one by one, Jesus is popping off those seals. And as he does that, more and more judgment is falling on the evil in this place. And in verse, uh, chapter 8 of Revelation, we get to the last seal. And it says this, when Jesus opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven. And it says for about half an hour. Now, I don't know if half an hour in heaven is the same as half an hour on earth. But it says half an hour. An angel was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Now, usually when we think about life on earth, we think about it being interrupted by heaven. Like life here is going on as normal and then heaven interrupts us. But in this passage, it's the other way around. Things are going on in heaven and what happens on earth interrupts heaven. As you're reading through Revelation, as you're moving up to chapter 8, there is all sorts of things happening in heaven. There are uh, elders around the throne lifting up praise. There's worship happening. There's a cacophony of noise filling heaven. And it's kind of matched by the, the sounds of earth as judgment is being poured out. There's all this noise. And then something happens on earth, and all of heaven takes stance, stops. And it's silent. And then what is it that happens? Somebody's praying. The prayers of God's people come up before the throne room and everything is silent because God is listening to the prayers of his people. He's paying attention. He sees them. He knows our needs. He's paying attention to what we're asking. They matter to him. Heaven stops when we pray. There's one time a father came to Jesus because his son was sick and he said, Jesus, I want you to heal my son. He said, basically he said, if you can do it, if you can heal him, Jesus, would you heal him? And Jesus says, if... If I can, there is no if. He says there's only faith, there's only trust. And the father responds and he says, okay, I I do believe, help me in my unbelief. I do believe, help me in my unbelief. This is the prayer of the doubter. This is the prayer of the person struggling with with doubts. You know, don't slide from doubt into apathy. Continue in the battle and lift up this prayer. I do believe, help me in my unbelief. I have doubts, but I do believe. Help me grow through them. Help me to see what you're doing. Change my perspective. Allow me to see something new. Move me through the doubt. It's a great prayer if you're a doubter. I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. After this uh, asking comes seeking. Seeking means that you're searching for answers. You're hunting for a reason. Something's been lost and you're trying to find it. When we seek Often it's because we've been disappointed. We're not finding what we're looking for. We're not having the answers that we need. So we continue to seek. We're we're searching for them. We're turning things over, trying to find a way forward. This is the next kind of prayer. So if the first one's the doubter, this one is the disappointed. The disappointed prayer. Those who are disappointed in prayer often are because they're, they're stuck in the outcomes. There are times that we pray We ask, and then the outcome doesn't match what we hoped for. It's not what we were asking. It doesn't seem like what we asked for is affected. It doesn't seem to change the story. And we've all have these stories, times when we've prayed, and then what we were asking for didn't happen. Uh, Years ago, my dad had cancer, and I was praying, God, don't let him die. Heal him. Let him come through it. And he died from the cancer. Years ago, my marriage was falling apart. I prayed to God, God, save my marriage. And he didn't. It, it It ended. My marriage ended. Some have prayed for God to move financially in their life. 
and then you had to file for bankruptcy. Some of us have been disappointed prayers. We haven't seen happen what we wanted to see happen, what we asked for. And I've heard people talk about how God always answers prayer. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait. It seems like there's sometimes when he's just silent and there's nothing. I can't tell what he's saying. Now, I know when God answers prayer, when he moves through prayer, it's always for his glory, for our good, to benefit our our neighborhoods and our friends around us. But that doesn't mean I always like it. It doesn't always mean that it's going to feel good from my human perspective. I don't know why there are times that the pain continues. I don't know why the suffering doesn't always end. I don't know why the worries continues to overwhelm us. But, But what I do know for sure is that Jesus understands that Jesus gets that because that's been his experience. He understands when we've been disappointed. Because the night before he died on the cross, he sat with his father in prayer and he said, hey, if there's any other way, can, we, can this happen another way? Is there a different way for this to play out? That was his request. And God said no. And Jesus ended that prayer time with some key words. He said, okay, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will. This is the prayer of the disappointed. Not my will but yours be done. Father, at the end of the day, you know best. I'd really like it to go my way. I think I got a pretty good plan here, but there are things that you see that I can't see. There are things that you know that I don't know. I know that you are good and faithful. I'm gonna choose to believe that. A few minutes ago, we sang that song and we said, you are good. And we said it over and over and over again because we have to remind ourselves that he is good. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, We choose to believe that he is good. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus would tell his his friends, he said, when you pray, pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it go God's way. And the reason is because God's way is the way of life. God's way is life. The way he invites us to walk, he'll never invite us to walk into death. He invites us to walk into life, life with him, life with others, the full life that Jesus promises us. And there's just times when the shadows are easier to look at. Sometimes the shadow reveals the sun better than when you stare directly into the sun. Sometimes those, those disappointments, those shadowy times of your life, they, they reveal the brilliance of God in a powerful way that's maybe better than just staring right into his face. And you just see these darknesses and you say, but God is here. There, there's shadows because there's the glory of God is around me. His love and grace is with me. Jesus faced the pain of the cross, not because God was twisting his arm. The Bible says that he faced the pain of the cross because of the joy that was set before him, because he knew that God was good, because he could see that through this hardship, through the suffering, that God was going to save lives, that sons and daughters were going to be adopted into the family of God and receive forgiveness. And so because of that joy, Jesus went through the hardship and the difficulty and the pain and the death because of joy. So maybe you're struggling with doubts. Maybe you've been disappointed. The third one is the one who's knocking at the door in Luke 11. And this is the distracted prayer. Jesus invites us to persist, persist in prayer, to continue in it. Even when, you know, you might not be doubting. You might not be dis- disappointed. Maybe it's that you're just not continuing. You're not continuing to pray, to persist in it. You don't take time to do it. You're distracted. The man's at the door knocking and his friend is yelling, leave me alone. The door is locked. We're in bed. He doesn't stop. He continues to knock. He doesn't get distracted. 
And sometimes we get distracted because we misunderstand prayer. We, we think that there's a certain way to pray. There's only one way, you know, there's important ways to pray and other ways you don't pray. And like God only wants us to talk about the big spiritual things. So we've got to talk about world peace and poverty and social challenges. And yes, he wants us to pray about those things. But he also just wants to know what's on your heart. The things that are distracting you and keeping you busy and, and making you feel worried. And he wants to know what you're going through. The minute you start to try to figure out what are the right words to say when I'm talking to God, you're not praying anymore. Now you're performing. Now you're, you're putting on a show that you think God wants to see instead of just sitting at the couch and talking to your father that cares deeply about your life. And the very things that are distracting you and grabbing your heart and filling your mind, that's what he wants to talk to you about. He wants you just to share it with him and express it to him. What we see as distractions, God sees as important they pop into our heads and they derail our eloquent words and our excellent speeches. And God says, that's exactly what I want. I just want to hear what's on your heart. What is it that's bothering you? That's why most of the time as a church, when, when I talk about let's praying, I say, let's talk to God together. Because that's, that's what it is. It's a conversation. It's not a performance. It's, it's us talking to God. Dallas Willard is a theologian, an author, writer, passed away a few years ago. But he's thought deeply about walking with Jesus. He once wrote these words, prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. And it's a great, it's so simple and so profound. Prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. We're invited to knock at the, the, the door of heaven and have this conversation with the one and only creator and sustainer of this, this whole universe. He, he says, I want to walk in, I want to come in and, and sit with you and talk with you. And that's what prayer is all about. So we, let's create space for that to happen. Paul wrote to his friends in Colossae, and he said, be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray and give thanks to God. That's the prayer of the distracted. Keep me alert and help me give thanks. Focus and gratitude, those are powerful tools that can help us stay connected to God and what he's doing around us, especially in our prayer life. So I want to encourage you to create space to have these kinds of conversations with God. To be intentional about it. If you're going to knock at the door, you've got you to have time to keep knocking. And, and Paul wrote about praying persistently, like never stop praying. But if you're going to get there, you've got to start by just setting aside some specific time to pray. So my challenge for you is, if you're not doing this already, uh, just decide on five minutes each day when you're going to pray. Five minutes when you're going to give all your focus to talking with God, sitting on the couch and having a conversation. Uh, maybe it's when you drive home from work and you sit in the car for an additional five minutes before you walk into the house. Maybe it's during lunch break. You turn aside for five minutes and talk with God and just talk about what you're going through that day. Maybe when you start your day. Um, you can find that time, but, but make, decide to give five minutes, set it aside, and invest in it every day. Start small and let it expand from there. Being persistent in prayer means letting it develop over time. And of course, eventually you're going to be tempted to quit. We are human. It's going to feel boring. It won't seem to be doing anything. It, and you're going to be tempted to get distracted. I just want to encourage you to continue in it five minutes every day just to talk with God. Keep alert. Stay grateful. Focus on how good he is. How Jesus is with you always. I want to read those words Jesus said one more time in verses 9 and 10 because they're just so good. And I want us to hear them again. Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to those who knock, the door will be opened. What does God not give us in those verses there? What does he hold back? He doesn't tell us the time. 
He doesn't give us the time frame. He doesn't say when it's going to happen. He doesn't say it'll be in a week or two days or a month or maybe next year. He just says continue to do it. Continue to ask. Continue to seek. Continue to knock. And believe that this promise that we're given, it will come to fulfillment. And it will be in God's perfect timing. It may not be in our timing, but it will be in God's perfect timing. When we doubt, we can wrestle with God and say, I believe, help me in my unbelief. When we are disappointed, we confess, not my will, but yours be done. When we are distracted, we say, God, keep me alert. Help me to give thanks. Grow a heart of gratitude in me that I can have these times with you, these conversations with you. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, why we pray for ourselves and why we pray for other people. What difference does it make when we ask God about these things? How does it really play out? What does it look like when we pray for others and pray for ourselves? Prayer moves God's hand. Prayer changes us. It's a powerful thing that we can invest in every day. I want to call you to be people of prayer. So let's take a moment right now. Let's talk with God together. Let's sit on the couch and have a conversation. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you listen to our hearts, that you turn toward us, that you are with us, and that when we go through life, when we have questions, when we have desires, when there's things that we want to see you do, Lord, you're ready to hear. When we ask, when we seek, when we knock, you invite it. You say, yes, let's talk, let's have a conversation. And Father, you're so gracious that you speak to us. You speak to us through your word, through your people. Sometimes even in the silence, Lord, you are speaking. Thank you for prayer, this this invitation to a conversation with you. It is such a grace that we get to, to have time to talk with you. And there are millions of us talking to you every day. And how does that work? Well, Lord, we're just so thankful you're not stuck in time. You are outside of time. So you have got, you've got all the time in the world to listen to us individually. So you're not, you're not locked in by time. Thank you for hearing us. We pray, Lord, that when we have these doubts, when we doubt, Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us grow through our doubt. We do believe. Help us in our unbelief. Lord, when we've been disappointed, we pray that you would remind us that your will is good, that your will is life. Might your will be. Might it happen your way. And Father, when we're distracted, would you grow in us hearts of gratitude? Would you help us stay alert to give attention to prayer, this conversation that we get to have with you? You are moving, you are changing, you are shifting us, Lord, every day. Might we see you at work in our lives today. Thank you for the conversation. And it's because of Jesus we can do this. It's because we are forgiven and we are welcomed in. Thank you, Father God, for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Life can sometimes feel like a battle, can it? And uh, we're promised a victory. God sees and knows what you're facing. You are not alone. He's with you. I want to invite our prayer volunteers to come up at this time and invite you to consider if God's prompting you, if there's something you're celebrating, if there's something you're concerned about. There's something you want to share because of the joy of it. There's something you want to share because of the challenge of it. We're here to pray with you and lift you up. You're not alone. Take Erica's challenge. Be reminded that coming for prayer doesn't mean something's wrong. It means that God is doing something and you're trusting him in the midst of that. So thanks for being here this morning. As you go, 
Might you know that God is with you, that he is talking to you and with you, that he wants a conversation with you, that he sees you and he knows you. So go in the joy of his presence. Go be light and love to those around you. We'll see you next Sunday. Go with God. Amen.